we've always been really big on automating everything we can for the prospect because we feel like if we can give an easy online experience, we're going to capture more, more renters or more customers. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. It is my pleasure to be here with JC. You're like, in my eyes, like the guru of, of multifamily property management, even though you're not a guru, but you just, you are, you kind of have that like cool, chilled out, like California, but like making major waves uh, kind of aspect to you. So that's, that's kind of how I like to view you. <laughs> I, I like that. That's actually a great description. I'll go with that. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can drop the guru part, but the, the cool, <laughs> the cool part is <laughs> definitely yep. true. Um, just a little background, a little context. Who's JC Castillo? He's, he spent the last decade. All right. Plus, okay. In 2006, he founded multifamily property group, which is a vertically integrated private equity firm. So they're basically investing in large multifamily properties in the Dallas Fort Worth Metro. And the thing I love about what you guys are doing is that, I mean, you're, you're in the Bay area, right? So, yep. so you come from, you know, Bay area, San Jose, and you're just focusing, moving all of your capital, right. And all your investors capital right directed to like one central location. You found your market, you stick with it. You love it. You have a, a property management company that's, you know, in-house taking care of everything. And that's great. You, you've really found kind of your spot and your niche in that. And that's, that's kind of what I love about, uh, about real estate. Well, you know, I think the thing about niches and, and I think the thing about being very focused on your, uh, not only, you know, what type of business you're going to build, but also where you're going to build your business is a lot of people in multifamily have the misconception that they want to be diverse ge- geographically across the nation, which in some respects, if you get to a certain size, that's actually not a bad idea, but you can build a very significant and deep business in a single metro that's large enough to support scale to where you could never really saturate that market. And Dallas-Fort Worth is one of those places that you can do that. Um, the nice thing is that because we're in one metro and we've been there for 14 plus years, you know, the amount of relationships and ecosystem and partners we've got there is incredibly deep. I think that gives us a huge advantage in terms of, of, of doing business in that neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is, I mean, you got involved right at like probably the worst time uh, <laughs> in, in a I'm certain sense. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's true. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I, mean, I actually it, bought my first three properties I bought right before the great, literally the last third property I was closing as the walls were crashing around us. In fact, the lender didn't want to give us the loan to close the deal because it was literally like as the global meltdown was happening. Um, so that's how I got started in, in, in my multifamily career. And so, you know, it's kind of like just getting thrown in, you know, into the deep waters right away. And, uh, you know, if you can float, guess what? You're going to float for a long time, right? That's right. <laughs> and so this, I mean, obviously going through what you're going through and what everyone is going through right now, obviously you have a lot of experience to weather that storm. Uh, have you found that to be true? 
You know, um, I, I've, I definitely feel like there's an advantage to having a, a downturn under, under your belt, uh, having some experience with a downturn. I do see some fundamental differences between the last recession and the, the current recession that we have in terms of what the multifamily space is going to do and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key is that, you know, no two recessions are exactly alike. And I think there's some definitely some differences that I see happening this time around versus last time around. Yeah. And maybe touch on like, what are, what's one of those differences that, that you see? I'm glad you asked, Yona. I'm really glad <laughs> well, you, you asked. You set so, me up. You set me up yeah, so well. Yeah. There's, there's two, there's two big things that I would say that are different. The great recession that we had in 2008, one of the key characteristics of it was there was a, a, a very, uh, very much affordable affordability was very big uh, yeah. back then. So, you know, rent still hadn't taken off. I mean, rent had been, you know, across the nation on average had been pretty close to historical norms. And so there was just a lot of affordable places to live as a renter. The second, and, and which is a lot different than now, if you look at now what's happened with this uh, pandemic driven uh, recession, we are already at all-time uh, affordability constraints for renters, and uh, it's really there's no room up. It's very difficult, especially in the workforce housing space, to uh, to keep pushing as as the market will bear because there's just some basic affordability constraints, yeah. which are especially especially exacerbated in, in in some of the areas where rents are already unaffordable, like on the West Coast and the East Coast, um, and in the Sun Belt states that you know affordability is still relatively decent. Sure. So that's basically is a, a big difference uh, between how things are going to work now with the recession versus how they worked in the past. The second big difference that I would tell you is that when the 2008 recession happened, there wasn't a whole lot of supply coming into the market for multifamily. It was a pretty, I would say, pretty balanced market and okay. even maybe slightly skewed towards um, a lot more demand than supply. And so you know, when the 2008 recession hit, there really wasn't a whole lot of occupancy issues during that time. Most people that got in trouble and went into foreclosure back then did so because they were over leveraged and they just didn't have any buffer and lending went away like that. So you couldn't get a loan. And so you lost your property, even in some cases, even if you had renters that were paying you rent and you could cash flow. this time around, it's, it's, it's different in the sense that there is a extremely large amount of new supply that's, that's been coming into the market for several years and, and there's more on the way. Mm-hmm. And so with this new pandemic-driven recession, we're definitely going to see some, of, some impacts of that on the high-end space where it'll be a lot harder to, um, to push rents in the, in the sort of the A space um, as a result of all the new supply. And then, you know, conversely on the C side, on the lower end side with affordability constraints that were different from back then, it's going to be a lot harder for people in workforce to be able to pay rent. So, that's the big differences I see between these these two uh, these two recessions. That's pretty important uh, to note that. And I've spoken with a few people beforehand, just talking about the the fact that a lot of people, because of you know remote work is becoming more popular, are just moving out of those metros. Um, so, you know, you're up in the Bay Area, obviously is a huge amount of of people in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco where they're just packed in you know, into kind of high uh, real estate, you know, markets. And now if the need is not there anymore to be there, they can start moving out to, to more affordable places to live. Yeah, the, the vacancy rates in the Bay Area have doubled almost overnight. 
in some cases, even a little bit more. I believe that the the average vacancy rate right now in San Francisco is somewhere, don't quote me on this, but somewhere between six and 9%. And it's historically been way below 3%. And people have, like you said, immediately uh, kind of moved out, either moving back with their family or because they're working from home have decided, look, you know, the whole reason I live in the city is because I want to go out and have a nice dinner after work. I can't do that. So why am I spending $3,000 a month for, you know, a shoebox when I can just, you know, move out somewhere else and, and save some money in the meantime. So that's definitely a trend that we're seeing here in the Bay area for sure. Absolutely. And you, something unique about what you do also is that your whole ecosystem, right? Your investors and everyone is located in the Bay area. So you, a little background, you, you, before you were in real estate, you started in, in tech, right? You were involved right. in, in high tech. So, and you've kind of continued that, even though you're not involved in that day to day, but you know, the people that you still network with, right? All your investors and you, you know, are, are in that space and you run, if I'm not mistaken, a local uh, meetup, which has people from the, you know, Silicon Valley coming together who are obviously in high tech and, coming together yep. to learn about real estate investing and, you know, ultimately investing with you. Really that what I, what I've become from, from over the years is as I've transitioned out of a uh, technology business, I was in the semiconductor uh, business for a long time is I've really become a, a, a connector, a bridge between these fantastic investment opportunities in real estate that are in the Sunbelt, you know, in the Texas area and and I'm connecting basically the the capital that's that's here in the Silicon Valley that that wants to take advantage of those investment opportunities, and I sort of have the best of both worlds. We've got an amazing uh, platform in in Texas that we've been working on for 14 years, but then we're also next door, so we actually speak we speak tech, we live tech, we know what it's like. All of our buddies are in tech, so we really are just a bridge. Uh, my company, you know, my partners and I are just a bridge to help these uh, Silicon Valley folks find great investments outside of California. What are you doing right now in terms of the actual meetups? I mean, I know you, you ran like a monthly meetup where you get people coming out. You doing any of those still or if, have you moved it virtual and how are you doing that? Yeah, we, I mean, we haven't had a physical one, obviously, for, for a while. Um, and we are planning on doing some virtual stuff. Um, I think that we... We want to reduce the frequency of these of these meetups and sort of um, increase the 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 uh, amount of, of of content that we bring, the value that we bring. So I think what you'll see is you know less of them and sort of more um, a little bit more deep okay. around things that 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 are really important to investors. Um, virtual, I've I've been a big fan of virtual stuff. I mean, you know, as you know, I'm running a huge business in Texas from California. So I mean working remotely is, is nothing new for me and doing things remotely. So this, nothing for me personally has really changed much in the way of how we do business. Right. What's one of those things, if you can, if you can pinpoint something in, in your business, technologically related, that is just like something you cannot do without. Something that I cannot do without, um, you know, what, what, what I would say is, I like to call our residents our customers. Okay, uh, I don't like to refer to them as residents uh, because I think customers is more of the right term. They have a right to choose where they live, and they just they decide to stay with us if we have a good product. So, one of the things that I I really can't live without is there is a technology that we've been using uh, for for a little bit of a while now. Uh, it's basically a virtual leasing assistant, 
Her name is Lisa. And anytime you go to one of my properties websites or you go to Google and you want to call to my web to my property and, and book an appointment to come schedule a tour of a unit, you're, you're not going to know it, but you will be, you'll start text messaging with, uh, with my virtual admin or my virtual leasing assistant. And she's intelligent enough to answer questions. Like if you say, Hey, you know what? I've got a, I got a dog Daisy, you know, our pets welcome. Well, Lisa will respond back over text. Yep. Here's our pet policy. She's definitely welcome. And, you know, would you like to schedule a tour? What time? So we really found that by switching over to this virtual technology, two things have happened. One, we're increasing the immediate response to a lead because leads go cold within minutes. But two, every single time someone calls in or, or goes to an apartments.com and sends a lead to us, Lisa records where that source of the lead is coming from. So now we've got this huge analytics database that we've been building over months and months and months. It tells us exactly where each of the properties is getting the most traffic and also mm. the most traffic that's delivering qualified applications for move-ins. Interesting. So um, this technology that we're using, I think, is a game changer. And, it's, and there's so many more things that, that can be done with it. So this is just the tip of the iceberg in my Wait, but opinion. But this is not, a vir- not just virtual. This is, you're talking about like an actual robot, right? It's, yeah. it's a person it's a, that's it's responding or it's yeah, AI? Artificial intelligence bot, yep. Oh, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's right. a huge game changer. Yeah, so they so she learns too as we go. Like, so she gets better at answering different questions. So this is definitely a big game changer. We got on this bandwagon before the pandemic hit, and we've always been really, really big with our company because we're vertically integrated and we have our own operations piece. We've always been really big on automating everything we can for the prospect. Yeah, because we feel like if we can give a, an easy online experience, we're going to capture more more renters or more customers. And so when the pandemic hit for us, we'd already sort of pushed as hard as we could. So I feel like that's been a huge benefit to us with the pandemic. That, yeah. I mean, that is huge. And so many things are happening now with, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, are you guys virtual doing like tours. virtual tours? I mean, yeah. So that was yep. the next question I was going to ask. You guys do virtual tours as well for your properties. Yeah. So we partnered with a company called Matterport a few years back. So Matterport basically, which is a Silicon Valley startup company, Matterport offers a 3D virtual tour service where you basically, uh, they take a camera to your company or to your property Probably. and they, you know, they virtually take a picture, a 3D image of the, of the model unit, let's say. You put that on your website, you put that on your advertisements, and then people can go and literally like virtually walk the unit. And mm-hmm. what that does is it basically qualifies traffic because if they really like your product and they virtually tour it, it, there's almost not much difference in terms of being there physically. So that lead becomes a lot more solid and qualified uh, when they reach out to us and they, they really know what they want as opposed to, hey, it's a looky-loo. And then they come in and they say, hey, you know what, this, this model unit looks a lot different from the pictures. I'm not really interested. So we feel like technology like that is making it more efficient for the customer, but also more efficient for us because we're only spending time with people that we know are going to have a high rate of, of closure, high rate of success, right? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And are you guys still looking at deals right now or are you kind of sitting on the sidelines? What I would say is we have always been opportunistic. We don't really think in terms of an up market or a down market or a sideways market. We, we really think about opportunities and we've been in the business so long that we know when opportunities hit our desk. And so right now we're not opposed to buying a deal, but we haven't seen anything that we feel like makes us jump. 
And right now we're extremely cautious. We believe that there's a lot of uncertainty that's going to be coming up uh, in Q3 with the end, well, supposedly <laughs> the end of, of the unemployment benefits expiring. So right. we believe that there, there could be some uncertainty with the economy. And until we really see GDP kind of coming back to life and we see a consistent track record in our metro of things coming back online with jobs and whatnot, um, I think that we'll, we'll continue to be cautious. You know, I foresee this by the second half of the year being, um, for us, being very cautious and probably not really doing much unless, like I said, there's an opportunity that we know we can't pass up. Yeah. And we'll kind of look to, uh, you know, probably the beginning of next year to kind of see things come back to life and then start to make some moves. Makes sense. And I'm sure you're obviously through this, you're tightening down your operations and, and making things, uh, making sure things are, are running more efficiently. Well, that is exactly what we've, we've been spending our time on. We've got a large portfolio. So we, we've got the time because we're not acquiring deals. We've got the time to really focus on operations. It's mission critical. Um, I was on that bandwagon since the end of last year. In fact, I, I had a LinkedIn post that had a lot of attraction where I really talked about the last decade, the, the, let's call it the 2010s, were all about, you know, basically equ- equity. Right. If, you, if you bought a multifamily deal from 2010 to 20, let's say 2018, 2019, you didn't have to be a, an operator. You just had to buy it and, and the market helped you. It took care of everything. It just made you look like a genius. But mm-hmm. last year, I, I, I definitely had the feeling that we're, this decade is going to be a turn where it's going to be the way that you're going to make your money is going to be back to historical normal, which is you got to be a great operator to really focus on the customer, give them what they want, um, focus on expenses, be efficient. And that's how you're going to make your profit. And so operating for profit, I think is the name of the game this decade. And, uh, and that is what we are extremely focused on uh, moving forward. It's going to be continue to be skinny margins. I believe that there's a lot of capital that's going to continue to look for multifamily assets, especially in great investment areas like Dallas, Fort Worth. So, you know, there is no end of competition for these deals. So if you're going to buy something, you're going to have to buy it at market, which is, is going to be a pretty penny. And the only way you're going to make it work is if you can be a fantastic operator. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so much uncertainty, but I I totally agree with that. I've seen that and heard that from a lot of other people. So I think it just, it just solidifies the validity to that approach and that, that outlook for anyone watching the video here. Right. I I mean, I noticed this on our first uh, encounter, but you got a golden globe sitting right behind you on the shelf over there. (laughs) Well, uh, that is, I'm really glad that, that you mentioned that. Actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is an Emmy. Oh, it's an Emmy. Um, and actually, <laughs> I can't take credit for it. It's my wife's Emmy. She used to work for NBC Telemundo here in the Bay Area. And so she always requires that I introduce her as my Emmy award-winning wife. <laughs> so, but you are, you are definitely very perceptive. There is, I get once in a while, I get a person that notices it but not very often, but yes, you're right. It is an Emmy and it was officially won, not by me, but by my wife. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to have, a, you know, an, an award-winning wife is, uh, is <laughs> <Yeah>. definitely. <laughs> I'm required to dis- disclose that when I introduce her. That's awesome. Uh, I want to jump right into the final four over here, JC. It's been a pleasure chatting about the operations and everything, but what, what's the worst job that you ever had? <laughs> That's a great question. I wouldn't say, you know, 
I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've really loved mostly everything I've done. I would say the least fun job is what I would say. Yeah. Uh, least, least fun job was probably, I would say when I was in, in high school, um, I had a job working as a, a gas station attendant. And actually, I loved mostly everything about working as a gas station attendant in high school, except for one thing, uh, you know, and back in those days, we had full service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that doesn't exist now where somebody would, I was in charge of going out there and pumping your gas right. and washing your windows and checking your oil and checking whatever else you needed me to checking your tire pressure if you needed it. My most unfavorite or most dangerous line of work was when we had some regular little old ladies that would drive big 1970s bomber style, uh, you know, Cadillacs. And, and, uh, and when they came in to, uh, to, when they came in to, to get full service, they didn't always see the curb as well as they used to. So we just had to be real careful when we were out there because uh, we didn't want to get run over by one of these lovely, lovely ladies, by the way, very lovely ladies. But, um, you know, eyesight wasn't what it used to be, I guess, right. for them. So that was probably the most uh, unfavored or most dangerous thing I did as, as, right. a, as a job. They probably couldn't see over the wheel half the time either, right? Well, yeah. that's true. <laughs> they, they definitely were like this. And, uh, and it, they used to, I used to get worried, actually, that they may one day run into the gas pumps, but we had big metal barriers. So that, that pretty, pretty much protected us. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I, my, my grandmother, I mean, she, uh, you know, she... A blessed memory. She passed away a few years ago. Literally drove into her, well into her nineties, and and she was great. She was with it. She was everything, you know. <laughs> but she wasn't a little old lady. She was she was a, a tall old lady. But she still she still hand, handled her well. But I definitely came across some of those people in my times. Yeah. <laughs> I had so much fun with them. They and they used to uh, know who I was, and so I had I had regulars. Is what I had really. It right. was it was a great it was a great experience. Well, that's good to know. Uh, the The second question is, is there a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Well, you know, I'm going to change this one up. You know, a lot of times people talk about books related to business, mm-hmm. and certainly I love books related to business, but I think there is a personal book that I read that I think was had a much bigger impact on my life. And uh, the book is, is called uh, Living Forward by Seth Godin. And um, I think the amazing part about this book that really inspired me is it really sort of talks about your life plan and people can look that, that term up, but basically, you know, what is your, your purpose in life and, and what's really important to you and what do you hold to be your, your, your core values and core mission and to try to do your best to always keep that as part of your blueprint for what you're doing in life. So um, for me, living forward was, was that sort sort of a, a game changer for me, which I, I, I really enjoyed the book. Beautiful. We'll add that to the list. Definitely. What's a, a skill or talent that you would like to learn? A <laughs> skill or talent that I'd like to learn? Gosh, that's a, that's actually, that's a really good question. Um, I think that I would like to continue to, the follow-up to the question. Go ahead. The joke is the follow-up to the question is I always challenge you that, okay, now you have to do it. <laughs> But I no. think I'd like, I think that I would really like to learn, uh, how to, um, be a better servant to the community, if you will. I think that I, I, I've got a lot to give and I think I don't always do a, as great a job as I should of giving it back just because of a lot of different time constraints and whatnot. So I think learning to be a better servant to the community would, would, would be something that I would 
that I would say I need to, I need to work on and, and learn and improve on. Okay. Well, challenge accepted. All right. <laughs> I knew if I told you something like that, it'll probably, it'll turn into action. So I, actually I'm doing that for the, for that reason. Awesome. And, and it's very noble and I think everyone should do their best and constantly, you know, continue to try to find new ways all the time to contribute and give back. We all have, whether it's giving back through time or, or money or, you know, volunteering or just efforts or even guiding, you know, and coaching and helping other people along the way is, is yep. um, you know, great opportunities out there. Fourth and final question is what does success mean to you? What does success mean to me? Gosh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, speaking of this living forward book for me, I think success is, you know, if I'm in my coffin, what is the legacy that I'm leaving with the people that are in the room that, that cared about me? You know, is it, is it good? Is it, is it maybe, you know, is there some, some, um, something I left on the table, yeah. uh, something that I could have done better at. So I would say that, you know, it's not a morbid thought. But it's just really, uh, that's the finality of, of how precious and brief this, this life is that we have. So, you know, I mean, success to me is what are those people saying in that room when I'm in my coffin? Absolutely. And that's, that's huge. I mean, I think a lot of people will take for granted that, you know, we're on a finite stay here on this, on this trip down here on earth. And, you know, for me, it was a big eye opener. You know, I've always kind of thought, not been morbid about death but been aware of it. And it's always been kind of a factor in, in things that I do. Kind of trying to live life to the fullest, you know, realizing that it could end at any time. And, and I just lost a very close family member last week who, uh, you know, at the age of 44. And that was a big, a big shocker for, for a lot of people and for myself as well, that you never know. You never know how long we have here. And for me, when I read Stephen Covey's, uh, you know, The Seven Habits, so right in the beginning there, he has a chapter there where you actually have to do an exercise to write what your eulogies would, would be, right? And yep. there's an exercise, who, you know, who are the people that are going to be eulogizing you and what are they going to be saying? And that's kind of yep. reverse engineering your life to live those, you know, to fulfill all the things that you, you dream of and all the things that you want to accomplish and the people that you want to affect in the positive way. So I definitely hear that. And that's um, a great definition of success. Yep. I agree. I couldn't have said it better. And that's exactly how you start. And with these plans is you start with what, what do you want to be remembered for uh, in your eulogy? So it's a fantastic way to really bring everything together and make it simple in terms of what you really want. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, JC. It's, it's been a, a tremendous pleasure uh, conversing with you, chatting with you today. Where can our listeners find you or find out more about you? Well, um, multifamily is my thing. Uh, and, I, and I love to, 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 to talk about it and learn about it and study it. I've got a podcast myself. It's called The Apartment Investor Show. Mm -hmm. uh, people can go to the apartmentinvestorshow.com. And uh, my buddy, Paul Peebles and I, who is a very well-respected and major player in commercial lending in the United States, uh, he's my co-host. And that is where people can find out more about uh, what we do. And they can learn a whole lot, more importantly, sure. about our perspectives and sort of, uh, we, we bring in a lot of experts and guests. We've had you on the show, uh, Yona. And so that is something that I would definitely recommend that people check out. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It's like I said, been a pleasure. I look forward to meeting again in person once that time comes. 
And, um, you know, until next time. Absolutely. And uh, to all our guests, all our listeners, I should say, who are really our virtual guests, because you're just kind of joining in and listening in on our conversation here today. I want to wish you guys the best, much success in everything you do. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.